0: Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, work through your word and my words that they might be yours and that you would continually form us into the image of the one who lived, died, and rose for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If someone were to follow you around for a day, what would they conclude... Were some of the most important things in your life? If someone were to shadow you for part of the day, or maybe all over the day, or for a couple days, shadow you from the time you woke up to the time you went to bed, what would they learn about you, about what really matters to you? If someone were to watch you, see what you spend time on, what you spend your money on, what you look at, what you talk about, what would they say are the most important things in your life? What are your priorities? Not what you might say your priorities are, if we write down and take a little survey, what are your actual lived priorities? What really are they? Haggai, the book of Haggai in the Bible, is about priorities, and it's about God's priorities. So we've gone through almost all of... The might call them the shorter prophets. We call them minor because they're called minor because they're short, not because they're less important. And we've gotten all the way. That's where we are at 12. We're two more after today. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah last week and today, Haggai, Zechariah next week, and then Malachi to come. So we're close. We've gotten through. And maybe you're ready to be done with them. Okay, I get that. There, there's some tough stuff in there. And maybe you've enjoyed learning a part, about a part of the Bible that we don't often look at much or know much about. But Haggai is very late, time-wise, to where uh, other prophets were. So I want to pinpoint where when he lived that will help us. So we've seen this. It might be too small for you to see. But the minor prophets are called the Twelve because they all fit on one scroll eventually. And here's where they fit and what I want, I'm going to zoom in so you can see, this is just timeline of God's people from King David on. So King David, he's gold, and Solomon, That there's one united kingdom, God's people, 1,000 B.C. David, we talked about him in Lent. And then after Solomon, the kingdom divides, the northern tribes, ten, rebel and have the northern kingdom, and Judah and then Benjamin joins them, are the southern ones, and God's still sending people to both of them to call them back. God says, you are my people, I have saved you, I have redeemed you, and God wants simply to them, wants to tell them, live as my redeemed people so that others look, see, and then might know me as well. God wanted his people to do that, but they didn't. So that's the left side, that's uh, after David Solomon, and then what happens is, oh yeah, what God is saying is, consequences will come for not having me as a priority. And so eventually God allows... The Babylonians took over and smash Jerusalem, wreck the temple. They can't worship there anymore. So that's coming. You're kind of leaning to it. So then on, uh, and you see that's a map of the ancient world, Jerusalem on the far left in Samaria. That was the northern kingdom. So all the bigger nations from further away come in, uh, destroy Jerusalem, cart all the important people away. That's just a brief map of they go out to Babylon, the green arrow in the middle. So Daniel gets carted, lives in Babylon. Uh, a lot of important people go there. And here it is on the timeline then. It's called the exile, 586, 587, and a temple there, burning or something, wrecked. And then God eventually allows them to return. So they spend 40, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of no temple. And about 40 years later, when the Persians take over the Babylonians, they can return. And then they're trying to rebuild, and that's where we get to Haggai. So God's people have been, Jerusalem, been destroyed, and they've come back, and now they're rebuilding. What do we do? we got to rebuild, and we got to rebuild God's house. And so tens of thousands of exiles can finally go back home, and they get back home to Jerusalem, to Judah, and they assess the damage, and they start to rebuild. And their first priority up front is rebuilding God's temple. God's place, God's presence among us. 70 years worshiping in Babylon, they didn't have that, no temple, God's physical sign, God's presence right in our midst, and so they get to work. And in two years, they had the foundation completed, but then they slowly got distracted from their main task. Slowly, other things kind of got in the way. Their lives got busy. They had other things to do. They started to look out for their own interests and their own houses. And then God took a back seat to their busy lives. So here comes Haggai with a word from God. Here's what Haggai says. In the second year of Darius, the king, the sixth month, the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, Darius king of Persia, uh, Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, he's important, we'll talk about him later, he's the governor in charge of making this happen, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, and he says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses... While this house lies in ruins, now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have your nice, must be the 70s, right? Nice paneled houses. And God's house lies in ruins, not done. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, never have your fill. Clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. When I read through this, those three words stopped me dead in my tracks. God says it twice here. Consider your ways. How often do you do that? How often do you consider your ways? How often do you sit down, take a deep breath, take a step back, and consider your ways? How often do you assess what's important in your life and what your life actually looks like? How often do you take stock of what you are doing and if it's what you want to be doing or should be doing? Consider your ways, especially when God says so like He tells them. Consider your ways. Haggai, the book of Haggai and his ministry is about priorities, very singular focus to his book as opposed to a lot of the other prophets we looked at. Do you have the right priorities? Are you living out God's priorities for you? And I find an easy way for me to track what my priorities really are, are to simply follow two things in my life. Time. What do you think the other one is? Money. Time and money. More than anything else, where you spend your time, particularly your free time, if you're working, a lot of that's allotted for you, where you spend your time and your money will tell you a lot about what you value and what your priorities are. So how do you spend your time, particularly your free time, What kinds of things can you effortlessly spend oodles of time on? Netflix, social media, or whatever is fun to burn time on. Are those things really the most important things in your life? I've yet to hear somebody on their deathbed say, gee, I really wish I spent more time on the internet. Nobody says that. But if you took a log, where does time in your day or in your week go? And is it where you really want it to go? And I think many of you have said the older you get, the more you realize that the most valuable resource you have isn't your money. It's actually your time. Where's yours going? What about the other one? What about money? Where we spend our money tells us what you value. Jim Wallace, a longtime Christian leader, famously writes and says, budgets are moral documents. Corporate budgets, church budgets, household budgets, whatever. What you spend your money on tells you what you value. So what do your time and your money say about what's important to you? Or a question I ask myself when considering something, I say, is it worth rearranging either or both of those? Is, something, is this worth rearranging my schedule for, or is this worth rearranging my wallet for? Now I realize that sometimes we just get distracted and spend time and money in places we don't even know. We get sidetracked from goals or, or get sidetracked from the most important things. And our time and our money can go to a bunch of places that we don't even think are important. Or on the other hand, sometimes we're too focused on ourselves. Well, in Haggai's day, God's people did both. They got both distracted and they got selfish. So they got distracted from the main task of rebuilding God's temple. And they also got selfish. God can wait. I want my house to be nice now. God's can wait, they said. And so that's why God's saying, hey, you're living in your nice houses and God doesn't have one. So let's continue in Haggai, verse one eight. It says, go up to the hills, because this is God talking to them, and bring wood and build the house, that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Continues, but I don't have it up there. Continues saying, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. So God's saying, I withheld things from you because your priorities were not in place. He says, I have called for a drought on the land and hills, grain, new oil, new oil. And asks them to change their priorities. So if I was to put Haggai in three words, it would be, seek God first. Seek God first. Or in a word, you can say priorities. What's Haggai about? Priorities. Seek God first. Now, the wonderful thing about this story is, what do the people do? Almost every other story in the Bible, it seems, the Old Testament of God telling his people to repent, change your ways, turn back, come back to me. What do God's people do? They don't. This is a really good story. Why? God says, seek me first, and what do the people do? Here it is, verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, those people, high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what did they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They obeyed God. And and the words of Haggai the prophet, they received him as God's prophet and God's word. As the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai spoke to the people with the Lord's message, saying, I am with you. They obeyed God. Wow. And, And then, again, this isn't up there, but it's in the reading. It says, the Lord stirred up Zerubbabel. We'll get back to him in a minute. And all of the people and the remnant, they came and they worked on the house of the Lord. They worked tirelessly and they worked to get it done. They heard from God and they changed their ways and they obeyed God. This, isn't, uh, this is partly where we're going today, but it is always good to obey God, no matter what. Do God's will. It is worth it. It is worth it despite whatever sacrifices you have to make in your life, whatever consequences you might face, however popular it might not be, but God's will is good and it is worth obeying. And then here we get into chapter 2, so we skip some verses, and God says, My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. All nations. So many times people think the Old Testament God was only focused on His people, yet all over the Old Testament, God is saying, I want all nations to come to know me. What is the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of All nations, Pentecost is all nations come. Here it is way back in the book of Haggai saying, build my house, as Isaiah said, I want it to be a house of prayer for all nations. God wants all people through his people to come to know him. Then he continues, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, and in this place I will give peace in this place, I will give peace. What's this place? What's he referring to? What what are they rebuilding? They're rebuilding the the temple. Yeah, God's saying, in this place, I will give peace. That's where God dwells among them. God dwells in in the midst of them. He's referring to the temple, God's presence, God's activity. In this place, I will give you peace. So, remember that Z name guy I told you about, Zerubbabel? He's the governor He's kind of overseeing all this getting done. Well, there's a promise to him in chapter 2 as well, and he's a descendant of King David. Well, who else is a descendant of King David? Jesus. Zerubbabel has promised to him that you are a part of the messianic line. Through you, the Messiah will come. You see, God comes to this place to give you peace, and God comes many years later, but he doesn't come again in a building. God comes in a person. See, God's presence comes as the temple in flesh. Word became flesh. Jesus, the New Testament talks about Jesus' body is the new temple. So I think when, when God's saying in Haggai, in this place I will give you peace, many years later he's talking about Jesus. In this place, God will give you peace. What Jesus did in this place for you will give you peace. You see, Jesus is the true temple. And Jesus absolutely kept his priorities straight, every one of them, for you when you and I don't. Jesus had a mission, a top priority, and that was to come and seek and save what was lost, you and me. And Jesus never wavered. He never got distracted. Even when the devil came to tempt him, he rebuked him with God's word. And Jesus never got distracted. He never got selfish. He kept God's priorities, and God's priority was to save you. So what Jesus did in this place will give you peace. Jesus sought God's kingdom above everything else, and that led Him directly to a cross for you, but He walked out of it victorious three days later on Easter morning and gives you peace. So I love that the gospel reading was Jesus saying, seek first His kingdom, because that's Jesus, I think, summarizing it. What Haggai says, Jesus says, because everything I've done for you, everything I'm going to do for you, the peace I want for you, the forgiveness I want for you, the eternal life in the future and true life now that I'm giving to you, because of all of that I've done for you. Now, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Seek God first. Not because You'll earn brownie points from God, but because it's worth it, because of what God has already done for you. And don't worry about how everything will shake out and how it will work out. Trust God for that. God is completely trustworthy, and He has completely saved you and redeemed you. Seek God first. And yes, then may the peace of Christ that does go beyond our understanding, may it guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.